The doctor is an older man, soft-spoken. He moves with an unhurried gentleness as he takes Seba's hand and welcomes him. He turns and asks if I've done this before. I tell him it's my first time. Well, we'll go easy, he says. If we have to pause or you don't understand something, just say so. We'll stop if need be. Please tell Seba we're in no rush here. He smiles and gestures for us to sit. I arrange the folding chairs as taught in my recently completed course, Introduction to Interpreting. The teacher at the International Institute, a Russian emigre, had explained how it's best to organize the space so that the client and doctor face each other and you, the interpreter, are off to the side. It's best when you disappear, she'd counseled, and keep your boundaries. Remember, you are a shared tongue, nothing more. In English, the doctor asks Seba, How are you feeling today? And I translate. Comment allez-vous aujourd'hui, Seba? Um, ça va merci, mais j'ai mal à la tête. Okay, thank you, but I have a headache. Just today or often? Uh, Juste aujourd'hui ou souvent? Souvent. Often. One small window allows a bit of sun into the cramped room, a steel desk, a counter with jars, Q-tips, tongue depressors, an exam table, the chairs in which we sit, a trash can marked biohazard. My heart bangs against my ribs, and I smile at Seba, who seems perfectly calm. The doctor looks up from his clipboard and says, Tell me what happened. Seba explains quietly, his wrists in constant motion, how he'd left his wife and child in the city to go to the countryside in order to visit the town of his birth. How his boyhood friend invited him to a village meeting where they discussed the need for clean water and schools. The situation had become unbearable. There were many sick children, and men were being arbitrarily arrested, accused of being anti-government rebels, disappearing. They talked of making contact with a human rights organization. Suddenly, In the midst of their discussion, soldiers rushed into the courtyard of the meeting house. They began shooting. Some were killed. Others escaped. Seba was thrown against a wall, handcuffed and blindfolded, stuffed in the back of a truck. Two days' dark journey, no food or water. Then a prison. There he was questioned and tortured until, one lucky morning, he escaped. After all the telling... The doctor asks Seba to please move to the exam table and take off his shirt and pants. He asks Seba if he is comfortable with the interpreter remaining in the room. Seba glances at me, nods, and removes his clothes and sits, slump-shouldered, his legs stretched out before him. Sunlight falls across his face. The doctor holds a yellow measuring tape across Seba's back, between his shoulder blades, as if fitting him for a new suit. He is documenting the length and breadth of each scar. The doctor measures, then pauses to make notes. This is the evidence the judge will need, the reasons and the proof written on the body. These notes will be attached to Seba's I-589, a Department of Homeland Security application for asylum and for withholding of removal. Sometimes the doctor touches a particular mark and asks, now is this from the wooden club or was this from the broken glass? 
I translate and glance out the window toward the Metropolitan Opera House, toward the clear sky of a February morning in New York City in the year 2008. They put the glass in the crooks of your arms, your knees, the doctor asks as he points to the back of his own knees, trying to get a handle on this method of extracting information. Siva nods and describes how the glass was shaped, how they bent and bound his limbs around the glass. He says, they tightened the ropes, they kept yelling questions, beating me about the head and back until I passed out. This happened how many times? Four. Did you always lose consciousness? Yes. Each time, I woke up back in my cell.